0: Brussels Bytes, a podcast about technology, digital society, and European policy. Brought to you by the Martin Center with Dimitar Lilkov.
1: Dear friends, welcome back to Brussels Bytes. The summer break is just around the corner, but when it comes to digital issues and tech policy, there is never a dull moment. The European Commission is keeping many people busy with a flurry of proposals and initiatives for the digital domain. In the last several podcast episodes, I sat down with experts from civil society organizations and private company professionals to talk about some of the hottest issues related with disinformation, AI surveillance, fundamental rights online, and many, many others. But today, I have the pleasure to talk to one of the policymakers in Brussels who has been personally involved with some of the most groundbreaking pieces of legislation for digital space. T- today's guest, Axel Voss, lawyer by trade and member of the European Parliament from the European People's Party. Before his involvement with European politics, Mr. Voss has started his professional and political career in the city of Bonn in Germany. Politically affiliated with the Christian Democratic Union in Germany, Axel Voss has been in the European Parliament since 2009, where he has been involved with prominent legislative files concerning legal and digital issues. Axel, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast.
0: Yeah, thank you for the invitation. It's my pleasure.
1: Um, Axel, you have been member of the European Parliament for more than a decade now, and I think you've seen your fair share of crisis, negotiations, groundbreaking moments, standoffs. Maybe tell us, tell our listeners, about your most vivid memories in the European Parliament in the last decade.
0: (laughs) Yes, so you are totally right. Um, These last 12 years I have been to the European Parliament, there are a lot of moments and a lot of crisis. So uh, I can't um, remember a time without a crisis in in a way. But um, so, of course, what has been very special was, from the beginning, the financial market crisis Then we have had this volcano out of a sudden, uh, you you couldn't fly Mm -hmm. over Europe and so on. And uh, Fukushima, of course, was um, the moment where we had to discuss then the um, energy question. And Of course, a very moving moment was the Brexit. Of course. And uh, this was very, very sad. Uh, but, of course, we have to continue to go on. And, uh, of course, the migration situation in 2015-2016 was something what was really going into the deep of all our structures and opinions and so on. So, this has been uh, moments um, where I considered at the beginning never will appear. Mm -hmm. But um, I I always thought I can talk about the beauty of Europe, but then all of a sudden you are only into some problems and discuss these in such a way.
1: Yeah, especially when we talk about migration, Brexit, there's also an emotional element to these questions, not only um, hard legislative or technical details, right? We talk about emotions, feelings and and, and people. Talking about uh, the past um, 10 years in the Parliament and the highlights of the, of the work of the European Parliament, let's maybe focus on the General Data Protection Regulation, the GDPR. Um, this was surely one of the highlights of the previous parliament. You were, you were directly involved with, with, with this work. Recently you have been very vocal about the need for GDPR reform and that we need to rethink uh, this legislation when it comes to Europe's competitiveness um, and there are some shortcomings of this legislation. Why are you concerned about the GDPR? (laughs)
0: So just to confirm, the GDPR is really a kind of a cornerstone of the digital world and legislation, and it's very important. But I still think that we have to improve the GDPR regarding the upcoming developments, the innovation, what we are seeing. So if we then trying to, seeing this in parallel like blockchain, like uh, artificial, intelligence like text and data mining and so on, um, these rules for the GDPR is not made for all of these new technologies. Um, You can live with this, yes, but if you're then looking to the competition, the global race on AI competition, the global race on digitalization, then you see we are too slow, we are not offering to our digital industry the data they need to train their algorithms, and AI, for instance, is of strategic relevance, and here I I see the GDPR more hindering innovation, and of course you can say it's not only the rule, it might be also the application, how we are applying to the GDPR, but here in this regard, I have to say it's both. already, from my point of view, a little bit updated. It's not legally uh, clear enough. And um, and again, we are not uh, meeting the um, upcoming technologies uh, and, and developments here so that we there is a need for revising, particularly not the whole issue, but in some of these aspects we should be better. Mm.
1: I fully agree with you when it comes to implementation because we've seen already how different member states have struggled to actually impose these rules. We see how some of the national data protection authorities are understaffed, underbudgeted, and they simply cannot handle the bulk of of cases. Uh, So here, I, I fully agree. But some people might say, well, wait, if we open up the GDPR text now, does this mean that we will break and lower the privacy safeguards we have for European citizens? Isn't this a a potential problem if we revise the text, if we also lower this protection?
0: Um, The sense of the GDPR is more than less focusing on a risk. Mm. And uh, if we are just seeing the risk everywhere, then of course you are feeling understaffed and underfinanced and so on. But if you're concentrating on these big techs, who are really using the data for everything what we probably don't know then they should be more focused on so it doesn't make sense to uh, supervise or control a single handcrafter somewhere there is not the risk for our Data. Um, so of course they also also should um, act in, in the same way and, and so on, but probably not having the same safeguards in place like a big company. But uh, here I think we, we can do better. And um, this this sense or the yeah the, the um, sense is not in lowering data protection. But the sense is more opening data, so also personal data for business models, for um, innovation, for development, Um, because if if we are looking to health data, just as an example, um, you can research a lot with these health data, but if you need always a Consent and the and probably you can do your one research, but you can't using then the personal data for a different aspect or purpose and and this is what how I'm thinking we should act differently and um, this is This has to do also with competition, this has to do with prosperity, with wealth and also um, to to, to have a kind of a lead in innovation and so on. If all our, not all, but a lot of European companies are going abroad, so outside the European Union to train algorithms, then this shouldn't be the sense of a GDPR. So, therefore, I think we need to be more creative and uh, yeah, securing also that we have a kind of a surviving element in the future, although we have the GDPR in place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So, for you, just to wrap it up very quickly, the way forward would be... To use more aggregated data or pseudonymized data. Yeah. What's your proposal in a nutshell? How can we move forward? On
0: this? Yeah. So at first, uh, we we can think about uh, about some techniques like anonymization, like uh, pseudonymization, but also uh, trying to find some ways forward in voluntarily donating data. Um, so the commission is now coming up with the so-called Digital um, Governance Act. Um, yes, this is the right idea, but it's not solving probably the fundamental question. Is our society uh, able also to um, yeah, donate data in a way, also for rare diseases to re- to make more mm. research and so on? And here we can find tools um, where this is totally the same secure for your privacy um, instead of sticking to a rule what we have adapted in 2018 and thinking, oh yes, it's still correct, but um, now we are seeing this is not flexible enough. And here I think we can be more creative, but we have to have the will, Mm. Mm -hmm. political will. Something
1: you, you already mentioned and I want to follow up on this and a topic very closely linked with, with privacy and, and data specifically is the e- European Union's new rules on artificial intelligence. You mentioned AI just now. Our recent Brussels Bites episode, the previous one, was devoted to artificial intelligence. So what are your initial thoughts on the Commission's recent proposal on, on AI and its whole approach towards
0: risk? Mm -hmm. Um, At first, let me start with the more positive uh, points. So it is a good idea. They have done this um, quite good. And um, I'm also very grateful that they have thought about these so-called sandboxes. Um, because we will ask as a European le- uh, legislator for a lot of safeguards what algorithms should be able for, so like uh, non, uh, not um, biased, it's uh, non-discriminatory, gender balanced, uh, in line with GDPR and so on, but if you're then not offering the quality data for it, because it has to be also personal data probably, um, then all of a sudden you're probably having problems in all meeting these criterias. That's why sandboxes are a very good idea. And uh, also having these uh, criteria, what I'm missing is the question of liability. It's not in it. This should come later, but I think if we would like to have a kind of a very broad approach. This is a question what we have to solve. Um, secondly, focusing on facial recognition and banning this in in public spaces, this is not specifically AI, this is not the general approach of AI, this should be separately um, treated or handled and from my point of view this has nothing to do with the general approach of AI. So I would separate these, of course we have to think about how also to regulate uh, facial recognition but not in a general approach of AI. Um, this are um, my main criticism um, here on, on these proposals. Of course, internally in the European Parliament, we are now fighting about these competences, which committee might be competent for it. But uh, this is a different question. Mm, and, and very quickly on facial recognition,
1: you think it should be separate because of the huge public security concerns potentially about privacy concerns?
0: Um, So, you get the impression, uh, because this is integrated in these AI Mm -hmm. regulation, um, you get the impression, oh, this is the typically used version of AI, and this is not. Um, A facial recognition, of course, has to do something with um, uh, security questions, with fundamental rights, with uh, then... uh, so public spaces and so on, but banning a technology without differentiating is never a good idea. So we we can differentiate. We know what is good and what is what is right and what is wrong. Um, and here I, I think we can approach this totally differently instead of coming along and saying, "Oh no, 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 we don't want it." Um, and even you never know what you're cutting off as a kind of an development or innovation if you're just saying now, no. But and then probably also I would say there are also for facial recognition safeguards for data protection or face protection if you want um, in place. Probably not all of my colleagues are knowing these, but there Mm -hmm. are, like data protection itself, are there also safeguards for facial recognition? It's always a question how to use the data, who is using the data, and to what purpose. And if we're making clear for what purposes we can use facial recognition, then we we are going better forward than just saying, oh, facial recognition is a threat to your life.
1: Mm. so for you the problem is also how we also frame the debate and how the whole debate is, is, yes. is being developed okay yeah. um, and you, you also just mentioned uh, liability in artificial intelligence uh, your work in the Parliament is also closely related with this you had a uh, resolution on, on, on this and this is also when we talk about artificial intelligence has always been a bit like a philosophical debate who is responsible if something goes wrong is it the software is it the producer is it the company is it the network operator because of because of some technical aspects? Um, so how should we upgrade our understanding of liability when we talk about artificial
0: yeah. intelligence? Oh, you perfectly um, describe the situation. So what we should have in mind is that uh, this kind of new approach or AI is a kind of a new issue to tort law or to civil law. Um, We have to make sure that we are still ending up with this European single market and not being fragmented throughout the 27 member states and, and having totally different approaches on these. That's why I think we need a more harmonized approach on liability for artificial intelligence um, that everyone in our common market uh, has the same rule to follow or to apply. And uh, this is what I have in mind in focusing on kind of a more harmonized approach. Secondly, um, we should make sure um, that the liability question is also kind of legally clear to everyone So of course we have um, systems in place um, for for liability questions, but if you are having different answers to these, then we should more focus on high-risk AI systems. Not every AI system needs to have a kind of a a new approach on liability issues. And Mm -hmm. what we have done in the parliament is not a kind of a new idea. Mm. It's just linking AI high-risk systems to the existing liability rules. And so that we say high-risk systems should adapt to uh, strong liability rules and all the other AI systems have the normal tort law approach. So it's a targeted
1: approach that if a system is considered as high-risk, it should follow additional rules and it should be more transparent, more accountable and so forth, correct? Yeah,
0: Yeah. so we, we are not complicating things mm-hmm. and, and just saying, so at first, just to be clear, strong rules for high-risk systems and this means then that you have an insurance in place but focusing on high risk systems means also there's a kind of a threat for your body life or property and and secondly um, that so what we have done in this proposal that um, you don't know or you, you can't predict who might be the potential victim And so that everyone who is in the wrong place at the wrong time might be a potential victim. And that's why we then said this might be a high-risk AI system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I see. So it's a traffic uh, guiding uh, system or drone or automotive uh, driving car and, and so on. But um, but so these kind of issues. But if I may, yes. um, so kind of a surgery robot might also harm your body and life and so on. But um, you, you you know already who might be the patient. So it's not a public threat to everyone. And, um, and and that's the difference. What we have had in mind, I, I know the definition might not be perfect so far. And uh, everyone is also invited to come up with better ideas. What is AI? What is a high-risk system in AI? But um, but this is what we are then trying to um, come to, to to bring forward. That everyone knows at the end uh, what to do and uh, where he is going to, and so on, and just make legally clearly what is happening if you are fulfilling criteria one two three mm-hmm. yeah let
1: 's not forget that these rules are still in the making, and uh, there 's a complicated procedure upcoming in in parliament in council on the general rules of AI and also on other specific provisions so we actually see finalized rules maybe in 2023 2024 who knows so it's it's a long timeline um, we can continue this interesting conversation on on gdp on ai we can continue digging through the, the the policy issues but i would really want to try to elevate the conversation a mm-hmm. bit zoom out uh, from these specific policy topics um, and let's try to see the bigger picture uh, last year in 2020 you came out with your own personal digital manifesto Um, for Digital Sovereignty and Geopolitical Competitiveness. Uh, It was a very interesting document, uh, an ambitious one, as I uh, I might add. Um, What are the main points you'd like to stress when we talk about digital sovereignty, let's say? uh, It's a buzzword in Brussels in the Mm -hmm. last months Mm -hmm. or years. And what's your specific take on this? And how can Europe be more ambitious and more competitive globally, Mm -hmm. digitally?
0: Yeah, so at first we have to realize that Europe is a, in a kind of a sandwich position between the U.S. and also China. And uh, therefore, I think we should go our own way, not too much orientated to capitalism and not to totalitarian regimes. So that's why we, if, if we had, would like to found ourselves a bit more on these values, uh, we have to think about what do we need at the end. And here, of course, all the preconditions, what we should have in place, and, and this should be already done in a way, but it isn't. So if we're coming to infrastructure, let's say 5G, quantum computer, etc., cetera, um, to investments, we do not have enough of investments also from the public uh, side. Um, skills. We should train our citizens more and more to these issues. And so um, I try to give a kind of a full picture, this broad approach to AI to survive in a digital age. And this is how I'm approaching these. in the meantime, um, that I see the question is already there that we have to ask ourselves, do we want to survive in a digital age? And if yes, what we have to do? And this, therefore, the manifesto should give a kind of a hint in saying how we might proceed. The commission now reacted a little bit in this way with the so-called digital decade or the digital compass and and so on. But um, already there, I'm missing, and this is also what, what I'm asking for, a kind of priority setting, Mm -hmm. a political will Mm to come forward, to concentrate on priorities. Also, if, if this is at least autonomous driving, if this is artificial intelligence, um, 3D printing, uh, the health sector, f- smart farming, green tech, or whatever it is. But I think we have to prioritize more and more. And the other, um, yeah, probably more, Very important point is that we have to change our mindset, especially in the political leaders in our member states. I think we can survive only if we are joining forces in the European Union. And there might be also another point in saying if we are acting as a legislator as slow as what we are doing right now and what we have done the last term, etc., then we are not fast enough. And therefore, we have to think about our own structures, how we can give our digital industry more help in having legal clarity and so on, that we are coming up probably in three-month time with a kind of an idea and then saying, if you're meeting these, um, then you're not getting fined or you're not in trouble. but. If you're not meeting these, then you are out. But then we have time to regulate more specifically. But I I think we need to be more in the forehand of all the development, also as a legislator, and in our um, very, very slow um, proceedings, we are not ready for the future.
1: Hmm. A bit bit of pessimism in your voice. (laughs) Very quick follow-up can we actually be fully digitally digitally sovereign or self-sufficient when we bear in mind that we are currently absolutely dependent on other countries and other continents for raw materials, for semiconductors, for investment even? Where is all this this debate going? And can actually Europe be fully digitally sovereign? Or this is just a (laughs) catchword.
0: No, uh, l- let's say in, in this way we can be more digital sovereign if we are really serious, have the will to do so, and uh, not just saying these and then um, there's um, nothing as a kind of a follow-up. No, we need to set this prioritizing, uh, we, we should have this prioritizing, we should have the investment to say so this is what we are thinking how our future should be and then um, focusing on these, investing, um, doing the legal framework, doing the practical framework, the um, regulatory framework, wh- whatever you can think about. But it needs to be focused on something. And, um, and here, um, so there. if, if we're doing so, then we might have a wonderful future and also playing a leading role in digitalization. Mm-hmm. Um, regarding the raw materials, of course, um, we also have to think about how we can make us, ourselves uh, less dependent And uh, therefore, so we have the right ideas. If you are looking to the semiconductors, the commission mentioned these. And um, but so the U.S. government also, I think, is thinking in the same direction later than we are, but they are doing this immediately and saying, oh, yes, we are spending $50 billion uh, for it. And then they are starting to be... Mm -hmm. independent or more independent and this is so far too complicated it seems in our structures therefore we need a kind of joining forces and european projects and then we might have a wonderful bright future also in the digital age
1: you already mentioned though that we are squeezed between the us and china so very quickly maybe let's talk about the elephant in the room (laughs) as as many conversations address this Uh, we inevitably touch upon china Systemic rival, competitor, especially on the tech front, we are are really facing tough competition Mm -hmm. from them. Not to mention this is an authoritarian system of of governance. This is also a very difficult debate in national capitals across Europe as well. How best to approach China? How do you see the threat coming from, from China? And how do you think the EU should handle its relations, especially when it comes to tech, in the Mm -hmm. future with the Asian
0: country. Mm -hmm. So the uh, Chinese are acting very intelligent. They have a plan how to conquer this world in, 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 in digital issues. And they are just doing this wonderful. They are offering a lot of services to other countries, and, um, and all of them are happy to take this, but all of a sudden you are reali- realizing all the data are going mm-hmm. to China, and they might have then a better... Um, evaluation how the world is doing if this is weather forecast if this is the harvest of something and so on they get a totally better view because of some intelligent um, products, they are flooding the market and both everyone, software and yes, hardware yes yeah. and, and everyone is using these at the end, so um, they are in a very good position and we have to be careful, they are a competitor, and they are a kind of a system rival in a way, but they are more efficient right now than a democratic uh, structure. But uh, then we have to think about how we can survive in a democratic, structured world and being more flexible and, and uh, more speedy in and, and, uh, approaching new developments then we might have a chance but if we are just concentrating of internal problems all the time we are seeing the world is passing by not waiting for Europe and uh, all of a sudden we are realizing that we do not have uh, our foot in the door. Mm.
1: Does this mean, uh, although in the meantime, that we should cut them off when it comes to 5G, when it comes to smart city systems for management, when it comes to data penetration? Do we need to be offensive on on this front? The Brits, for example, they said they're going to completely rip off Mm -hmm. a certain company from their networks. Should Mm -hmm. we follow these steps or be a bit more cautious? Yeah.
0: So... Um, So this is a kind of a very radical approach and uh, probably, yes, we should more confront the um, Chinese uh, behavior on all these, Um, but also there are other ways. So if we are trying also to prove and to observe all the um, elements of a 5G network, so we certainly can do this also differently, but in the long run, probably you have to be very, very careful um, and, and therefore probably you need to confront them more than like what we are doing right now. And, uh, I, and I think it's better also for us to be very clear what are the do's and don'ts. And, um, and here I, I think our approach right now is not the best way forward. We need to be more confronting, saying, Where's the limitation, the the, the limits, and um, and then I I wouldn't be too open to China. I, of course, This is not only the digital market. So the Silk Road question is also something we have to approach in a community as a mm-hmm. European Union. Um, if we are not doing so, then we are lost. They understand how to um, get. One or two or whatever member state on board and uh, spoiling them a little bit, and then all of a sudden we are um, splitted and uh, This is what I think our political leaders should more have in focus and uh, in in these digital terms, of course it's much more um, intensive than in, in the um, other economy, but um, here we have to be more. Um, focused on these and probably in the long run or not not probably not in the short run but in in the long run we have to say no we do not want your elements in our infrastructure we can't be sure that you are not spying on us
1: absolutely a collective a more assertive approach from europe towards china Maybe it's the the way forward for our actual digital sovereignty in the future. Yes,
0: so you you have to see the competition in uh, two layers. So at first we have the Western and the the Asian approach. So um, here we need the U.S., And on on the lower level, we have a competition between the US and the European market. So it's not easy to find a solution, but we need to be very sure regarding security, um, spying and so on, that we make sure, so no, we do not want your elements in our infrastructure.
1: Absolutely. I I think the important thing to communicate to, to citizens and experts as well is that here we are even talking about national security yeah. implications. We're yeah. not talking only about human rights in China, only about trade. We're talking about our own uh, national security and, and, and personal perseverance and, and, and digital integrity um, when it comes to China. Um, I've been talking with Axel Voss about sovereignty, about policy, about making sure that Europe moves forward and, and builds, builds a better future, as, as Mr. Voss said. Um, thanks so much for listening. Um, tune in again to brussels bites hopefully we'll be back very shortly thanks a lot that was today's episode of brussels bites follow us on soundcloud for more